Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you're listening to Coffin Talk, Exit Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. This week, from Phoenix, Arizona, I am lucky to have Mr. Dave Pilar on the podcast, and Dave is a former retired pastor and a currently full-time therapist, uh, and we met uh, a few years ago at a coffee shop that we both went to. And we would have incredible conversations, so we're going to have another one today. So welcome to the show. Dave, how are you? Hey, I'm doing really well, and it's so good to hear your voice again. It's been quite a while. Yeah, it has, and uh, I'm excited to get into metaphysics, but first I thought it would be funny to let our listeners know that we met through this coffee shop, but it's because it was next door to the actual church you were uh, the minister of. So do you want to get into that a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was uh, We were in a, uh, a little shopping mall. Uh, we call them strip malls out here, and um, and um, I would go there every morning and found you typing away many many mornings, and it looked like you were uh, very uh, in, absorbed into some deep intellectual work there. And so I just I don't know who started the conversation, but I was interested in what you were doing and. Um, then one thing led to another, and I, it didn't take long before um, we started getting into deep waters. Say, so I really appreciated uh, a conversation partner uh, finding one like you because it's really easy to live in a bubble when you're in a church, and um, uh, it's sort of an echo chamber, and you have a, a very different perspective on things, and I just loved it. So, and that was the beginning. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the reasons you were a must-have guest on this show is that, likewise, you are a jack-of-all-trades, and you literally have advanced degrees in so many different things that I would have thought previous to meeting you would contradict each other. So I would never have a thought, growing up at least, that I would meet someone who could both be a Christian pastor and a therapist because I would think of the two things as somewhat contradictory. But today we're going to get to the bottom of all that, so... I guess uh, the best place to start before we get into your philosophy as a person would be um, what got you into uh, Christianity and becoming a pastor? How, how did that work out in your life? Well, it's interesting because um, the interest in psychology and uh, spiritual faith or experience was hand in hand. I was, I was something of a lost young man. And um, in my mid-20s, uh, and um, really uh, sort of in an identity flux, didn't know what my life was about, and, you know, who I really was and that kind of thing, and um, encountered by chance a pastor who just took a, just a keen interest in me, and um, uh Again, similar to uh, uh, our conversations, just started talking about uh, the philosophical things of life, and that opened up um, a dimension I really didn't know I, I had until it was uh, illuminated. And so that, yeah, so it, I, I sort of found um, a sense, I found some faith and um, a, a 
higher purpose. Um, I found a unifying perspective, uh, a lens on life and death and the purpose of life uh, through through the Christian faith. And um, I just felt compelled to, as we say in the biz, <laughs> I uh, eventually or soon after felt the call to ministry uh, to devote my life to those things. But um, um, a lot of it, when I look back in hindsight, was also trying to understand what was happening to me. So it was sort of a, a transformation of identity. And I very quickly became interested in psychology and sociology and anthropology, just trying to uh, um, explain things through a broader human experience, universal experience, and and really the inner experience. And that's where the spirituality comes in. Okay, great. I'm going to ask you for sure three to four different questions based on that answer. Before I ask those, I'm just going to try to nip the life story in the bud with which came first then the degree in ministry or the degree in uh, psychology? It, it was a, it, it was a, a degree in theology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so at what age were you both a minister and a, is therapist the right term? Um, yeah. What, what, what happened was um, I quickly realized that I was uh, in, more interested in doing uh, not a conventional uh, ministry, but one that dealt with uh, uh, people's transformation um, from a therapist's point of view. So I began to focus on, uh, it, I really thought of it as a specialty of pastoral counseling. And so um, after a few years, uh, after seminary, after a couple years in a church in the Midwest, I came out to Phoenix, my wife and I and, and two children. And at that time, we eventually had three, a third one here. But I started a postgraduate residency in uh, marriage and family therapy and pastoral counseling. And and it took me uh, uh, several years to, to earn that degree and, and licensure in, in Arizona as a therapist. So at, at a certain point in your life, you were a young family man with children working with family counseling. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. And the irony was not lost on you based on the conversations I've had with you. <laughs> um, so what what did you start to see with this this inner life that you're talking about? Can you relate that to this part of your life? Yeah, it, it, it was the kind of, uh, um, it was an interest in understanding transformation. Um, um, the, the, how how people go from one level to another, how we um, um, how we experience um, just you know the, the spiritual language uh, was um, that helps explain it is a higher consciousness. You know how how does a how does a, um, a uh, middle aged child um, become an adolescent? And, um, f- for example, um, how does an adolescent become an adult? The things that adults think about and the things they understand are not possible for children and, and adolescents. They just, they're at a different developmental stage and they just can't see things at a higher stage of consciousness. And, um, so this was sort of like an intuitive hunger, um, a, a kind of a, 
deeper experience deeper than words can tell that when uh, that what I was experienced had experienced in my life and what I uh, felt and heard and saw reflected in in uh, faith and scripture um, were pointing to these things and and what I later realized was more of uh, the mystical core of, of uh, religion or some people just say spirituality but this mystical inner experience a very uh, a deep intuitive um, beyond you know cognitive uh, logic um, it, do, it doesn't mean it's not reasonable it has to be reasonable but it's 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 at a different level of understanding so so to what extent do you think the world is using religion to work out this internal intuitive process versus religion is a structure for society to stop people from doing bad things? Like, where do you stand in between those two completely opposite? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I guess, um, um, I would say that that every every major religion, um, every deep religious tradition that is, that stands the test of time, is um, rooted in a deeper spiritual, mystical experience and and guidance into transformation into higher um, higher levels of consciousness and and experience. Um, but they all start at a lower developmental level. Uh, you know, you don't, um, you, as you'll, you already uh, know that you don't, you don't let small children make any choice they want. <laughs> you, you have to give them guidelines, and and um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of moral training that goes on. Um, in in religion, um, structured religion, and um, at, at some point though, it it begins to develop into the um, the formation of the heart or the character, and um, you know the the idea that uh, um, the lower level God, uh, uh, the divine God wants uh, conformity, uh, obedience. Uh, um, that only that, that that's that's like at the level of a of a child, um, and then as it as a person evolves, they realize, well, now just like myself, um, I don't want really I don't want people to treat me well because they have to. I want people to treat me well because they value me. I don't want people to treat me well because they love me or they find me worth uh, a person of worth. And, um, and so it begins to move towards um, a relational experience, um, not transactional. Transactional is you do A, um, I give you B. Um, you follow the commandments, God rewards you. It's a good place to start, but it, can, it cannot sustain a deeper longing and really depth of the human capacity to love and be loved. 
So eventually it has to give way to, you know, what we were talking about earlier, this mystical experience, the sense of being um, interconnected and uh, the experience of, of love and compassion and kindness. And really, to, to me, it's more of a, a, a unitive experience, as the, the mystical tradition would say in all religions. It's more of a unity with God, unity with all people, unity even with uh, the created world um, versus the separateness, um, um, you know, a, a separate self um, moving about with other separate selves. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of uh, uh, embedded in your question is, uh, um, I think, is uh, a realization that uh, a lot of times religion doesn't really um, promote this uh, deeper inner experience. We might say more transcendent experience. It's pretty parochial. It's, um, it can be rather confining. And I've, so I've always I've come to the. Uh, in a sense that uh, uh, organized religion, most of our experiences of it anyway, are more like a scaffolding. Uh, it has to give way to the real, the, the thing that's being formed. Wow. So it's almost as if, it's weird because you're creating like a double analogy. You're talking about the evolution of a child into an adult, and then you're talking about the evolution of a religious person into a non-religious person who's actually more religious than the religious person because so yeah, that's incredible. It's, it's very hard for me to not agree with that. That's like a pretty, just based on my life experience. Yeah. There, there, and, and it's, and you can, it, it's, it's, it's pretty paradoxical, right? But, um, you know, I used to try to remind people that, that Jesus was pretty, pretty revolutionary. You know, he, in fact, he got, uh, he got killed for it. Um, and, and embedded in, uh, you know, the, the unitive experience of uh, faith is the acceptance um, and unity with all people, all, really all of life. And when you get to that level, um, possession, ownership, tribal identity, national identity, religious identity fades into the background. And that can be pretty threatening to social structures. So let me let me ask you a a personal question but it's it's far enough removed that you can answer it without worrying about um how it comes across. So I know you have three children and I've met all of them and they're awesome. And then what uh but I haven't met your grandchild. And so this question is about that person because I'm just curious, would you want them to start off with religion or would you want them to start off without religion based on your life experience? So it's a very direct question to you. And if you don't want to use that real person, but yeah. No, no, that's fine. That's a wonderful question. I actually would. I would want them to start off um, in an organized religion, in a, what we call the, you know, perennial religions, like the, the ones that stand the test of time, because it really is, um, really is a scaffolding and it, it really forms the character and and it it, it, it if transformation uh the one thing i um you know spirituality is about experience is uh, what we know intuitively and the one thing i know and i think we all know is that life is, is a journey a developmental progression and and so um 
it's sort of like, um, you know, we tell parents and, you know, therapy-wise that, um, you know, a, a permissive laissez-faire parent can be as damaging and neglectful in their neglect as a harsh, abusive parent. And so um, um, we really need that kind of structure. But I would want to, I would want to be there. Um, I would want to be a sort of, uh, you know, a, a guide in the bushes to, to keep whispering things that um, awaken his, um, his deeper sense of self and his soul that it's more than just obedience, more than just conformity, more than just zealousness. Um, and, and because I think that's really um, the deeper voice of love of the divine that calls us, you know, from, uh, you know, from each day to the next and even beyond. So in your career as a minister, as a pastor, um, did it ever happen that someone came to you and said, I've, I've outgrown the scaffold. And, and if that happened, how did you respond to that? Since you kind of have a, it's almost, it's not hypocritical based on knowing you and talking to you, but it would seem hypocritical for a, a pastor to tell someone, yes, you're correct. It is a scaffold. Please leave. Yeah. And, and, and it's really important to make a distinction. And then I always would in those conversations um, is that um, the organized form of of a religion is different than the the core of the faith, um, and so I wouldn't, uh, you know, I would encourage people. Um, and, and the way those conversations would go would be, um, uh, people would be referring to they just can't breathe in what I call the American Protestant Church. They can't breathe. They, they don't feel that um, um, they have uh, affinity anymore. Um, they don't feel a, a doubt and, and exploration is actually uh, frowned upon. As long as you do it within the lines, yes, it's just wonderful. It's, it's, it's accepted and applauded. But when you, when you begin to question um, um, the structures of uh, what I would call dogma, um, then you're you're going to be you're going to experience alienation. So I'd always encourage people um, to you know like yeah validate that you're you're suffocating and you know you have to pay, you have to listen to your spirit your soul and but encourage them to keep following it. <laughs> not you know not not just to you know uh, you know take a, a jettison into nihilism or something like that. So I want to use the the rest of our time more productively for our audience because I feel like you're you're someone who's helped me and I've seen you help other people and I've seen why you're able to help people and it's because you are this walking series of non-contradictions that seem contradictory. You are a passionate man of religion and you're also a passionate man of science and you know psychology and then you're also just like interesting and normal and like, you know, you can kick back and hang out. So that's reassuring actually. <laughs> how, how do you cope with it all, with the stress of it all? Like before COVID even before, um, you know, the politics gone hyperbolic in 2016, like how just throughout the course of your life, have you managed to keep yourself together when you have so many different opinions that seem contradictory, but again, probably aren't. 
to, to make it more succinct, I could also just say, like, what's your faith? What's my faith? Um, the core of it is trust. Um, uh, 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 trust in, in um, um, you know, the, the love that is personal. Um, the love that is, is, is uh, n- not private, but personal, that everybody, that we all are bound to and trust that we're all bound together and that as uh, um, uh, this is rather obscure, but it's coming to mind, sorry, uh, Julia of Norwich, a, a mystic, Catholic mystic from Spain in like, I think the 16th century. In one of her, her meditative, prayerful experiences, uh, uh, re- received a, a message, so to speak, that um, all is well, all manner of things will be well. That it, that there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a bigger ca- purpose and, and uh, the, the organizing fabric of love um, that we call divine or God that keeps this all together. So going back to your question, I didn't, I didn't, I haven't dealt well sometimes. Um, and to, to be quite honest, uh, the, my disappointment and grief over the American church, uh, I could, I couldn't cope. It felt like at times, um, that was very difficult. Um, but then again, I've got to go back to um, the core of the transformative experiences that occurred way back years ago um, when I first uh, realized I was actually spiritual, as we all are, um, that um, the transformation is all about uh, dying to uh, an old order and rising to a new, dying to self. Um, uh, or as I like to say, dying to our uh, small self, our ego self, and rising to our transcendent self, our the, the big self, or like uh, Buddhism says, big mind. Um, and so it, it, it's you know um, the struggle, the pain, the the resistance, the anger, all those things are part of it. And really, really, the, really the the fuel of the of the of the uh, of the for the uh, crucible, for the heat. Yeah. Um, the rate of atheism is not rising, and it's actually declining worldwide, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that there's a rise in organized religion. There's not. Like, what is your advice for much, much younger people than you and I who are, like, struggling with this this awakening of, like, wait, the scaffold is a scaffold? Ooh, that... Um... That, that's yeah, that's really interesting because one, one of the uh, one of the factors here is that it's it's really hard to be spiritual in this time. Um, but one of the reasons it's also good news because um, there's a you know a lot of people have written about this that there's a shift of uh, world consciousness happening, and it, it's we're, we've moved from a sort of like enlightenment modern age into the postmodern age this uh, where every everything's kind of falling apart and um you know people uh, lament that there there's no absolutes anymore but but what i see there and what uh, more of a, a spiritual or mystical lens would say is um hey um 
the old separate tribal um, ego-driven individualistic uh, consciousness of, of, of the Western Enlightenment is falling apart. And what's, what's emerging in its place or being birthed um, from it is a more of a unitive, uh, interconnected sense. So, um, uh, for example, why is it that uh, so many young people, people under 30, uh, are so passionate about the, um, about the um, uh, global warming? And, and and our planet. Well, it's because they have a they have the seeds of a different consciousness that old people like me weren't given, and that is interconnectedness. We're all related, and so to me, every like the core of Christianity is pointing to all things being summed up in the love of God. Um, Buddhism talks about that. Um, Islam talks about that. Um, but uh, Hinduism talks about that. This sense that um, the uh, Christianity would call the reborn person or the transformed person or the resurrected person, even in this life, realizes that we're all bound in God. Uh, the enlightened person, the awakened person realizes that we're all part of the whole. And so, you know, I would encourage people, young people to cultivate that and to deepen that experience. And the challenge is what form of spirituality does that take now? What communal form? What, you know, are there any organized forms of that? Those are pretty hard to find. And so now that you've virtually answered every metaphysical question I could throw at you, except the final one, I would like to hear your thoughts. And I, I think we might go a little over on this. So please take your time and, and think it through. Um, I, I don't want you to rush this at all because I really am yearning to hear your answer to this. What do you think specifically happens to you when you die? Like, what is your envisionment? And I, and I feel very comfortable asking you this because you're you're a little older than me, but you're not like at the stage yet where it's really knocking on your door. So how do you stand with all that? Um, so I, you know, I would say, um, um, I don't know. Um, but it depends on, on when you ask. So I, I, um, one of the things that I was, uh, you know, I knew you'd ask that question. I was thinking, um, um, well, uh, one of the things that gener generated my interest in spirituality way back when was I was afraid to die. And at least I was aware of that. And, um, and one of the, uh, some of the notable points in my spiritual life were being around people that were dying. And um, I used to dread, uh, you know, I spent a stint as a chaplain, hospital chaplain too, and, and even as a pastor, whenever you get that call, uh, someone is dying, um, someone is terminally ill, whatever, and, and I, I would just dread having to go into that space. Um, and, you know, I found a lot of people were very afraid, and they struggled and fought, and they're anxious, and it's it, 
it's tough. Um, it's ugly. And then I experienced those individuals that went through a kind of transformation this side of the bale of death. And, uh, and I, and I really mean this literally. There were some people that I saw that literally had an illumination. I don't know how to explain it. And, you know, I don't know if it was our, my brain playing tricks on me. But they were so filled with love and so free from their ego that when it doesn't matter who walked in the room, the nurse, um, the, the medical supply guy, um, they beamed with love and connection. And so I, one of the things that um, struck me was the desire to learn to die well. And, and, to be able to trust and not fear, not be anxious, uh, because um, you know this from uh, conversations in the past. But I was a pretty anxious person, especially I had a, a good, uh, a healthy dose of social anxiety, um, and um, I realized that's really rooted in in our fear of our uh, death, or rather, our our ego's fear. Of, of death and uh, this uh, sense and a, a spiritual uh, experience that there is a part of us, um, a deeper or more transcendent, whichever direction you like, um, um, it, that is, uh, uh, it transcends that, that it, uh, realizes that it's not, it's not the end. Um, and so, you know, the, you know, really the, the purpose of, I think, the spiritual life is, is uh, to practice dying. And uh, anybody, anybody that's been uh, tried uh, to meditate um, recognizes that there's, there's the uh, active form of their mind, uh, which, which I would call the ego, that just won't shut up. And it, it will not let go. It does not want to let go. And, you know, neuro, neuroscientists um, tell us that, that that is part of our, our, what they call our default mode network. I, it's kind of part of our survival network. And it's uh, the reptile brain, mammalian brain. Um, all it's worried about is survival. And it's binary. It's, 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 I tell people that their reptile brain is pretty stupid. It just knows yes, no, either, or, safe, unsafe, eat, be eaten, uh, pleasure, pain. And, and basically what we call our identity is um, that inner tape, that, that inner dialogue that constantly is playing um, with us as the center subject, um, the main character, it's always assessing risk, um, threat, defensiveness, pleasure, cravings. It never stops wanting and it never stops trying to be in control. And so, um, you, you know, so if, if any kind of prayer or uh, spiritual experience or even meditation, um, it, it, it's sort of a practice of dying to that small self. 
And of course, when you do, you realize there's something else there. <laughs> there's something else in there. Um, and, and, I, and so there's a sort of like disidentification. It's sort of like loosening the grip that my ego has on me. And I realize that I'm not my thoughts. I'm, I'm not all these reactionary feelings that go on. And a uh, guy cuts me off and, on the road. And, and that's really not me. That's just that default mode network, my ego constantly chattering. Um, and so long-winded way to answer the question is that um, I think what happens when you die is that you experience in kind of a turbo fashion kind of this letting go, this deep release, um, this acceptance that this is the way, this is the way of life and, and death is um, an, another stage and transition into something higher. That's, that's absolutely beautiful. I, I want to end the podcast on that note because that was too perfect. Um, anything I ask will just diminish from that. So, Mr. Dave Pilar, thank you so much for helping us put another nail in the coffin. Uh, once again, everyone, I am Mike Oppenheim, and you've been listening to Coffin Talk, exit interviews with the living, and uh, we'll see you soon. Walking along when I hear her.